0: The Women in Media podcast is proudly sponsored by Organic Traditions for spring 2024. Stay tuned for a special deal during this episode. I'm Sarah Burke, and this is the Women in Media podcast. And on this episode, I am celebrating a milestone. It's episode number 50. And I couldn't think of a more appropriate guest. I'm pulling in my first friend in an unknown city when I moved for my first full-time radio job my roommate during some of the most difficult and amazing years of my life here in Toronto, and the woman who was sitting across from me at the dinner table when I first dreamt up this podcast. Please welcome one of my best friends and confidants, Morgan Campbell of Global News, who's one of the most fantastic reporters and videographers in this country. Eden's watching the baby, so
1: as long as like my boobs don't start leaking, I'm good to go.
0: (laughs) What a start. So you're on maternity leave. How are you doing? You ready to get into it?
1: I'm great. I'm great. Congratulations on episode
0: 50. Nuts, because this happened with you sitting at our dinner table. What did we call that podcast that we were going to start together at one point? What was it called again?
1: (laughs) Remember how terrible the the pilot was? Uh, Dinner debrief. Because we debriefed about our work days every day after dinner. Yeah. (laughs) And then we mic'd ourselves up while we were cleaning up from dinner. And all you could hear is like the dishes and the clamoring of, (laughs) oh my God, the audio was terrible. I'm glad we didn't
0: put that out. It was terrible. Point being, though, there was something so special about us being roommates at that time. Because it's two gals working in a very, A, competitive industry, B, uh, like a very um, rapidly moving, fast-paced industry, and like coming home to each other at the end of the day and just wanting to like let it all out. So that time for me living with you was like pretty pivotal, I think, in keeping me going like it was hard what we do for a living but
1: i don't think i don't think a lot of people really understand the pressure of this industry unless you're like in it right And that's what made our relationship, you as my, you know, wife, (laughs) so important because I could come home and actually really, really talk about it. And the fact that, you know, you used to work for my employer, you knew some of, you know, the people that I worked with in, in my industry. And I knew, you know, I know some of the people you work with and kind of how the hierarchies work and the structures of these organizations. It was nice to kind of, you know, get stuff off our chest, but also really lean on one another for advice. I mean, you've been my career counselor for, you know, a decade now.
0: (laughs) So Morgan has lived in, in many different markets. And I want to go back to the beginning of your career, because if we're being real, this is a profile piece on you. But there is something great about a safe space. You know, you're a reporter, sometimes you're working on a story that's like, completely under wraps. Sometimes I'm working on a project that literally can't be spoken about, but just to say the bare minimum to each other and understand how the industry works has been a complete blessing. So how, how we met, let's go back to Kingston, Ontario, Um, small market and a great, a great market to start careers in. I would say the limestone city. So you're working (laughs) as a TV reporter at CKWS at the time. Um, I'm moving to a city where I know no one. And, like, I gotta say, you were kind of like the welcoming committee. And thank you because you were so kind, even in the beginning. You know, that's,
1: uh, that's why I had all those house parties. I would, every like (laughs) new person that came into the station, I'd be like, guys, we have to have a house party. Like we have to have food, bringing salad. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Me assigning everyone the foods that they need to bring. But no, I mean, it was, I knew what it was like to, to move to an area where I didn't know anyone. And, and, um, I felt like, you know, you were easy enough to bring in and we
0: had so many, so many things in common. So it was just really natural and it flowed so easily. The industry sort of like breeds you to be competitive, right? So it's Mm -hmm. almost surprising how you just had your guard down completely with me at the beginning. You have to keep in mind too, when I went to WS, um,
1: there really weren't a lot of women there. Like all the women interactions at the very beginning that I had um, were with the people upstairs in radio. And so, you know, it was very much I was I was the only gal, but I knew how hard it was to be the only girl in the newsroom full of men. Right. And so I didn't want new people coming in to kind of feel, you know, that feeling that I had that I wasn't quite adequate enough, you know, that I wasn't maybe hitting the mark. Like I knew that I was fresh out of school and that all the senior reporters would be looking at my shooting skills and, you know, potentially commenting. Um, but I have to say there, there really was something special about Kingston and um, you know, that time frame that we were there, so many great people came through the doors and it really was like one big, happy family. And I think really laid the the foundation that I needed moving forward um, in my career. And I think that's why I've always enjoyed mentoring people and, um, you know, helping other people out, whether they're male or female. I think it kind of goes back to those days at W.S. where I was hosting uh, the house parties and the barbecues and everyone (laughs) new coming in, you know, had to bring a macaroni salad.
0: (laughs) So, I mean, there's been no shortage of difficulty looking at what you've been through over our friendship. And I think over the years, it's made you such an incredible reporter. Not that you weren't at the beginning, but it's just added to the skill set with like this element of compassion and understanding that not everyone would have. So first, I want to talk distance, because at one point, like you you really wanted to be in the Toronto market. Um, as I think we all did, right. You know, I was also looking to try and get into the Toronto market, whether it was from Kingston or London, you're always trying to think big. Um, and then it came to the point where you got an opportunity that kind of came out of trauma, I would say to go out East, but I think it was one of the best decisions that you ever made. Um, are you comfortable with me talking a little bit about what you had gone through that led to that decision? Yeah, absolutely. It's totally, it's part of my story. So you're in a relationship with a man who, you know, I think at the time you you thought was your guy for life and tragic accident. It was Thanksgiving. And because you're a reporter and you're trained to look for these things, I remember you telling me about the color of the helicopter. Was it yellow or orange? Yeah, it was orange. That's serious trauma. Yeah. Yeah. Um, It's crazy,
1: you know, the things you you remember, like, from that day, like, the helicopter. I remember the sound of, like, the gravel, the tires hitting gravel. You know, I remember the smell in the air. Um, But I think that's just, you know, really how I remember just these little pieces of things so vividly. The sound, you know, the squawking on the police and fire radios. Yeah. um, That just kind of stay with me. My partner at the time had died in in you know just a really tragic collision. I had um, again when you talk about the reporter aspect of it, like I remember being on the phone with a friend and seeing the police cars drive by my house, and uh, my friend said, "Didn't you just say that you know he he left?" And I was like, yeah, and it clicked, right? Because my little town that I lived in didn't have OPP officers flying down the road, right? So, you know, um, I got there literally as the helicopter got there and, you know, saw them working on him and and trying to revive him. And unfortunately, he didn't make it home that night. And I was left with, you
0: know, a huge... A void.
1: I was at a fork in the road, really. I could um, be just completely encompassed and wrapped in my grief, or I could choose to use it and as a learning situation and move forward. Now, I took, you know, maybe two months in my grief. You know, I was sleeping on the floor. Uh, I, I was that. hardly sleeping. I wasn't eating. I mean, all the things. It was terrible. Um, but I came kind of to that moment where I thought, well, I can't live in this house that we just bought anymore. Like, I can't have all these daily reminders. Maybe it's time for me to go and do something else and go somewhere else. And uh, that's when I saw the the opportunity at Global Maritimes. And I moved,
0: uh, I applied and, and got the job. I think a lot of young reporters, young people in the industry, um, take that chance and go somewhere new. Um, but for you, it was kind of like kind of in the middle of, of your career. Was it harder to pick up in the middle of after already establishing roots in Ontario?
1: I remember my parents and so many people thinking I was absolutely nuts because I was moving to a province with no support systems. I'd been in therapy full time um, at that time, just kind of learning how to cope. And, and you know, I've always used this phrase, um, you know, in, in my trauma you know, learning to adapt and overcome obstacles. And it's the same phrase that can truly be applied in, in any workplace, journalism, news reporting, the same, you know, you're, you're given an obstacle or a change. You, you need to learn how to adapt to it and then overcome that obstacle. Right. And I kind of took that approach with, with the move down East and it was truly the best decision I ever made. Um, despite being so far away from kind of my support network, I created a new support network there and learned so much about myself. And I think I needed to leave in order to, to truly make that transition. Um, yeah. if that makes sense. Yeah. I think that the, the day to day would have ate me, you know, like just would have eaten me alive. Um, but going somewhere else to grow, um, where not everyone looked at me with sad eyes, right? Um, that was the worst part about this whole thing. I remember going back to work after, you know, I think I was off for six weeks or something. And I, there was an MP, MPP, and I'm not going to say her name um, out of out of respect because I think that sometimes people say and do things that you know they maybe think of after and think, oh, I shouldn't have done that. But I remember going to a press conference, and um, the woman saying, the MPP of all people, saying, you know, we're just so happy to see Morgan back with us, joining us. She's just, you know, suffered such a tragic loss, and Morgan, please know that. You're you you know, you're in our thoughts and and we're just so happy to see that you're getting better. Kind and genuine, right, definitely. but in front of coming from a politician in a room front front of you know, and full of people at a hospital announcement um that that literally ripped my heart out i i I remember another reporter looking at me saying, "Are you okay?" And it was like everything in me, and it was kind of at that point that I thought to myself, you know what? Maybe change is better. You know, I, I used to call them sad eyes. People just like, oh, you know, the way that you look at, at
0: um, you know, someone who's sick or something. Yeah, yeah. So grief aside, I think that there are certain things that you would have appreciated more at that time. Um, even looking at it from, you know, someone who may have been interviewed in that situation as like a victim, right? Oh, yeah. How did it change your your reporting. Cause I, I remember you talking about like the way you approached, you were going to do a story. You had to go to a woman's house. I don't remember what the story was on, but you were telling me about how you had sort of leveled up in the way that you interview because of what you had been through and what you appreciated on the other end. Yeah. I
1: didn't notice, I didn't realize how important that was. Um, until after it was kind of the silver lining of, of that, you know, that experience, that trauma that you, that you experience like, I know what it's like to have a door knock, you know, from, from a police service telling me that, you know, someone that you care about is, is not going to come home, um, has died. I know what it feels like to drop to the ground at that point and not have any breath anymore. And, and just, sheer panic. You know, I know what it's like to have family and and news reports written and um, everything just kind of fall apart, yeah. right? Like, you know, something like this happens to you and it's so sudden and so unexpected, but then you have all these things that are thrown in, in your face, like After. 24 hours later, you have a coroner calling you saying, okay, like, you know, we discovered that he died of A, B, C, you know, and like just that like that raw conversation you have to have with a coroner and then you have a police investigator phoning you, um, telling you what's going on and you're looking to the police for answers and you're wondering, well, what happened to the vehicle that he drove? And oh, wow, there's supposed to be a funeral now. All these things that just kind of roll at you and they just come at you so fast and um, nobody knows what that's like unless you've been through it um and so I've taken you know that approach in speaking to victims of crime and speaking to you know victims who um, you know maybe lost a loved one in an, in a similar kind of accident um, who who had really been you know in the same position as me and I've always been completely open, honest, um, and transparent with my story and my experience to the point where I've gone as far as to offer someone a hug, you know, (laughs) and, and that may be completely viewed as unprofessional, but if someone shares their raw emotional story with me and you break down and you're crying, like my natural instinct is to hug someone. As long as they want the hug, right? But sometimes yeah. it's just taking that moment to be like, I know exactly how you feel. Because when you're in it, you think nobody knows how you feel. And the vast majority of people have no idea how that feels. And I hope they never ever have to experience how that feels because it is something that stays with you for the rest of your life. You don't get over it. You just learn how to live with it.
0: It became a part of like your superpower skill set.
1: Yeah. And I think too, he would have wanted that. Like he would have wanted me to to find the the positive out of it. Um, well, it and <laughs> And to be like completely honest with you, there it's it happened in 2016 and and even to this day there there still are really tough days i have an absolutely incredible husband that um you know is like a godsend and like somebody that i can talk to about those feelings and um you know i would li- i would be lying if i said that i don't still have you know the odd glass of wine in the bathtub and have a little cry yeah Um, but I think that's all part of the healing experience, right? And that's all part of, again, learning to adapt to something and, um, to, to move forward, but not to forget. But I think it's definitely changed the way I write stories, right? Like I know that raw emotion. The
0: lens of the sad eyes, right? Like you don't want to put Mm -hmm. someone else in the sad eyes. You want to put someone else in like a more empowered place.
1: Yeah. And you know, something else that really got me too is, um, how upsetting it is to me now to see kind of like, you know, the throw the mic in the victim's face, you know, I'm very much a person that takes such a different approach, you know, where I approach with a, a camera off and a microphone off by myself, um, explain the situation because I know what it's like again, to be on the other end of that Yeah, and then um, the and to have people chasing a story. And think about what great of a story, you know, that, that what I went through would have been, right? I mean, um, that was that was tough. You know, that was really tough for me to deal with it on the other end um, from from the reporter aspect. So it's totally changed the way that I approach things 100%. I think it's made me not just a better reporter, but I think it's honestly just made me a better human, a better person, Um Knowing that, I think, yeah.
0: You have covered a lot of really big stories as it pertains to crime and high-profile cases, Uh, even in the news. It's been kind of crazy being your friend, watching what's going on in the news kind of be way closer to you at home. Um, Can you talk about some of those really big high-profile national stories that you've covered? Because I know that's been a big part of your career.
1: Oh, well, the one that really um, is in my mind – more often than I want to ever admit is probably the story of, um, the disgraced ex-colonel Russell Williams, um, who raped and, and murdered women. Um, he really was Canada's bright shining lie. You know, he held such a high top military position, um, and, uh, just completely betrayed. I think the entire country. It was this was an international story, and I was just starting out really as a young journalist, and um, to see kind of the impact that that had, and and still to some degree continues to have on that region of Ontario, the Quinte region, um, has definitely been something that's stayed with me. I've I've remained. Um, close to some of the people involved in that case, um, including victims, family members. And it's always been very important to me to, um, share that story through the lens that it deserves to be shared through and not, um, you know, that, that rehash of the gory details. It's, it's more on, you know, how, um, People have moved forward and learned yeah. how to trust again. You know, it's about community coming together. It's about the military bouncing back. Um, so that's always been really important to me. Um, the Shafi'a family murders uh, that was an absolutely tragic, tragic story of um, an honor killing involving, um, you know, yeah. children and, and, um, and an adult woman um again that's those these are just stories that that constantly um, stick with you and and that's before my time even in toronto or even down east the shootings of of um the police officers in Fredericton, no. new brunswick i th- i even think back to the to the widow of one of the officers and like Oh, it like you still feel it in your gut, you know, like just how how tra- how tragic that was and how sudden and and again, like that impact on the community. I've, I've definitely and I don't know if this goes back to my own lived experience, but I've always been so big on impact, telling a story through the eyes of those impacted, um, you know, not telling stories. Um, through a bunch of talking heads that are all officials, you know, police officers and politicians, you know, those those talking heads, telling stories through real people, whether it be people on the street, people directly impacted by something. Those are the best stories. Those are the most impactful stories. There's a catalog of, of stories. I even think about um, some of the stuff here, in Toronto, um, you know, the there was a shooting involving a young kid um, at near Jane and Finch that has definitely stayed with me. You know, I, I interviewed a woman, a little girl was in her bed, and there was a bullet that went through her room, you know, just a young child. And meanwhile, um, a boy, I believe he was 12 years old, was, you know, just killed in broad daylight walking back from the grocery store with his mother. You know how yeah. do you comprehend these things? You know, and there's definitely been um, you know a lot of tragic stories, but there's I've had a ton of you know really incredible stories as well, and and learning and and experiencing things like even going back to the the floods in Fredericton um, and and that area uh, a couple of years ago, they had historic floods people just inviting me into their house like i actually have a video of this um elderly woman whose house was raised really high the um grand lake floods into her backyard and just covers everything and to picture it you have to think about like being on the second story of your house right and that's where she was living because the whole first floor was (laughs) underwater and i i got there by boat And she, there was a deck and she came out onto the deck and she was like, hi, sweetie. Like, thank you so much for coming and telling our stories. And she gave me a bag of chocolate. Cause like Easter was on the weekend and I don't know if I stole the chocolate from like her grandchildren or something. Cause obviously they couldn't visit that year, but she gave me this huge bag of chocolate and she was like, love you, sweetie. Thank you. And then like later that day, I ended up going into her house and having tea (laughs) with her and her son and like, she wanted to feed me and everything. And I'm looking at her and I'm like, everything you have is like under water. And you're worried about entertaining me. Like, your garage is gone. Like, the man cave outside is gone. Like, you don't know where your boat is. Your vehicle might be underwater, might just be, like, down the river somewhere. And, like, she just was wanting to, like visit with me. It was it was absolutely crazy. That's that's truly, you know, f- folks who live in the Maritimes, like they're just such special people. And I think also like kind of going back to that trip. Um I call it a trip because it didn't feel like work, but you know, my time out there it made me learn so much about like what um is important to other people. I find in in Ontario, we have a very um very narrow approach to, uh, you know, some of the news stories that we see, right? You know, a lot of it is about, and they're important stories, you know, healthcare and, and budgets and, and, and those, you know, the, the pandemic as of late. But when I was down east, you know, things that were important to people, there completely different. The lobster industry, uh, rules imposed by the federal government on the snow crab in- industry, um, natural disasters, um, the endangered right whale, the fact that they changed the kind of salt that they used on the Trans Canada Highway, which you know ultimately led to to more accidents. Totally different set of. You know, importance. And I think that in part of my decision to go out there, I went out there with an open mind that I was going to learn about stuff that I would never be exposed to in Ontario. Because I think the only way you can be extremely well rounded in this industry is to kind of spread your wings and go somewhere else and learn about other things that you're not necessarily always exposed to.
0: It's Sarah Burke here, the host of the Women in Media podcast and the founder of the Women in Media Network. Yep, now there's an entire network. I've been working really hard to get things off the ground. And what would I do without coffee? I can barely function without it. But I feel much better about putting a coffee that's full of superfoods in my body. I've been loving the Focus Fuel instant mushroom coffee from organic traditions. And of course, all the ingredients are organic. It's packed with Lion's Mane Mushroom to support memory, focus, and cognitive function, adaptogens to nourish your brain, and MCT powder to boost your energy and improve mental clarity. And before you make that face, no, it doesn't taste like mushrooms. It tastes like coffee. Actually, better than most. There are hints of cinnamon and vanilla, and it is absolutely delicious. Did I mention it also just won Best New Mushroom Enhanced Beverage in a 2024 Brand Spark survey? Want to try the Focus Fuel Mushroom Coffee yourself? Head to organictraditions.com and use the promo code WIMINIMEDIA20 for 20% off at checkout. And by the way, that applies for the entire site, not just the coffee. You're welcome. Just add water and get at it. Hello, I'm Wendy Mesley. There you are. A lot of people
2: wondered what happened to you. I could say the same about you, Maureen Holloway. Well, here we are, a few years after we left our previous jobs. We've been busy we have a podcast. I know you're thinking who doesn't, but ours is really good. It's called Women of Ill Repute. We don't just talk to women though, just the most interesting people you'd ever want to meet. Artists, musicians, comedians, doctors, activists, convicts, writers, sex workers. Drop some names. Jan Arden, Pamela Anderson, Bruce Coburn, Samantha Irby, Louise Penny, Marilyn Dennis, Colin Mochrie. We laugh, we cry, sometimes we argue. Come and find us. Our website is womenofillrepute.com. Or try Apple, Spotify, and all the podcast places. So now you know what happened to us. Women of Ill Repute.
0: And then like coming back to Ontario, you did make it to Toronto and, and the, the big city. <laughs> what was it? Your yeah. stepsister uh, said, you'll be in that big city drinking your Starbucks. <laughs> <laughs> it, it's funny because there's a period yeah. of my life when Morgan and I were in a long distance relationship. And it was like, I knew when she called, I would have to set aside, I feel like I said this in your wedding speech, I would have to set aside a good hour or two because when we were going to talk, it was going to be like a full on oh, yeah. throwdown. Like, you're not doing anything else for two hours. I was in uh, the process of yeah. breaking up with my boyfriend. He's sitting in the living room. I'm on the phone with you. You've called out of nowhere. And I'm trying to, like, be excited about you moving to Toronto, but I'm also trying to, like, encode, tell you I need a roommate.
1: <laughs> oh, yeah. And what a weird thing for both of us to go through at the time. You were going through a breakup, too. Yeah. I was dating someone in New Brunswick and decided that, you know, yeah. <laughs> I was going back home and... Um, I remember trying to talk to you about that and then be like, so I need to talk to you about global Toronto and then be like, where the heck should I live? I know nothing about yeah. this city and you're just sitting there like, "Oh yeah, I could give you a call to uh, tomorrow morning on my way to work if you want and we could talk about this more."
0: I remember also being like, "Look at your text, look at your text messages." <laughs> I'm like texting anyway. <laughs> point being we end up living together um when you made it to toronto was there anything you felt completely unprepared for like what was your biggest culture shock the dvp <laughs> even me like you know starting my career in london ontario when i moved back to toronto and i technically grew up in the gta I was still having that culture shock. And, the you know, I only drove downtown on my routes to certain places. It's not like I had all this experience navigating the big city either. So, yes, the DVP. But what about, like, work culture? I
1: was really nervous about what I would be walking into. Um, you know, a, how competitive is it going to be? Um, how welcoming and inviting are people going to be? Um, what am I going to have to do in order to, um, gain the respect of, you know, my colleagues? And you probably remember like after my first day there, um, I couldn't wait until the next day to go back. Like my colleagues were absolutely incredible. My managers were just absolutely incredible. Everyone welcomed me with open arms and, um, Really, like no, no. I was so worried about that. I was worried about potentially catty women. I was um, worried about competition. I still remember when, like, Ace reporter Sean O'Shea, like, came up to me and introduced himself to me, and I was in awe. Like, you have to, you have to know, like, when. You're out there in other markets, there, there are reporters who you're watching um, and learning from. And, you know, I was huge into consumer SOS and Sean's approach. And he was just like so kind, asking me questions about myself. And I could hardly <laughs> even talk, you know? But even like F- Farah Nasser, like, she was absolutely incredible showing me around like before i actually started and i came in to to meet at the assignment uh, desk and the managers and stuff and you know i remember she like was just walking me around took me in introduced me to the makeup artist um took me upstairs she's like you don't have to wait in the waiting room what are you doing and it you know like it was just like oh my gosh the she was the anchor then the anchor like just took me in and 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 uh Treated me like an equal. Um, so that was that was really, really great.
0: Also in the Toronto market, you know, the ability to cover maybe more high-profile stories. I know you started doing some reporting uh, for Global National, which you were always very excited about when we were dinner debriefing. You're sort of witnessing and experiencing some, you know, some trauma through others. Um, what type of resources were available to you in that situation so that when you come home, you know you're able to let go of the day and you're not bringing home the stress and the things that you've seen sometimes we have to talk oh, yeah. about PTSD a little bit here
1: well yeah and we know too that i mean it's no secret that i have suffered from PTSD since the yeah. accident in 2016 i'm a huge believer in therapy i i still partake in, in therapy <laughs> I think we've been really, really lucky um, with Chorus Entertainment. They've been very supportive of, um, you know, kind of mental health check-ins and making sure that uh, we are given the resources needed, um, including access to therapy and therapists and whatnot. So that's been great, but um, it isn't easy to leave those images um Right. you know, in the field. Like I i think of, and I was pregnant when this happened. So I don't know if it just impacted me even more, but there was a woman in her eighties who was um, run over by a street sweeper in Toronto. It was terrible. It was absolutely terrible. And um, I remember I came home and my husband, who's a paramedic, checked in on me. And, you know, we're we're huge um, in checking in on each other's mental health in this household. And um, he said, you know, I had one of my colleagues who had been on the th- scene call me to check in on you. And, you know, she know, knew how it impacted her having to see it. And I didn't see anything near what first responders would have, right? Um, but the fact that even that was happening... Um, Early on in the pandemic, I don't know if you remember the Zoom bombs? Oh, yeah. Oh, this was terrible. We um, were doing, uh, I was on a Zoom call. It was a press conference, so it was open um, and didn't have a password. You know, the Zoom meeting was bombed by someone who was sharing very inappropriate um, videos of children I mean, now actually that I have a baby, I've been found that that's kind of been coming back. And I've been thinking about that because of – it was horrifying. Like, I mean, I called the police. Um, there was there was someone in our resources department who also had been monitoring the feed, and he witnessed it. Um, I called yeah. my boss crying. Um And I just uh, couldn't, I couldn't even breathe. It was terrible. And, um, you know, we filed police reports and and provided all the information that we could. Um, But like that, again, I mean, here we are a a ways away and it it still does impact me. I guess even when we were all locked behind uh, closed doors for the most part, you know, it's really highlighted the importance of continuing to Just talk to someone. And if you don't want to talk to a professional, that's fine. You know, talk to a friend, talk to a family member. Um, There were lots of times I Mm -hmm. spoke to you about it, you know, Um, and sometimes it's even more important just to have a check in on those people that um, you care about. I said this the other day, um, being on maternity leave right now, so many people, you know, will message about, how's Finley? but not everyone will say, how are you, right? And I think that everyone kind of has a role to play in shifting how we Mm -hmm. think about those things Um, because we all live in a really tough time.
0: We all see things that um, are going to impact us. So you're bringing me into this next subject, and I'm not going to lie, I know you very well, and you're what, six weeks uh, postpartum right now? Seven, but who's counting? (laughs) (laughs) We're the the same type of person when it comes to, like, work ethics in the professional part of our lives, and you've worked your ass off for so many years to get to where you were. I want to talk about you even coming to the conclusion that you were ready to have a baby and go on maternity leave, because I know that that wasn't easy for you, but my invite for you to come on this podcast right now, yes, of course, episode 50, and, you know, you're, you're one of my people, but, like... I thought to myself, if I know Morgan right now, she's grappling with her identity because she's at home with a baby and I know she misses work.
1: Yeah, this is going to sound terrible to say this like out loud and like, please bosses, like don't give my job away. I'm actually shocked at like how little I have thought about it. I think what I miss You know are the headlines and and like being out there and and seeing the stories but like having kind of this new assignment of keeping this little human alive and um, you know trying to to, I don't know find sleep where you can I think that's why my thoughts are always so like (laughs) jarbled because I'm just literally running on fumes all the time but yeah like it's it's kind of tough to be sidelined one of my colleagues called me yesterday and he was just like talking about everything work and I'm like just tell me everything like what was you know x meeting about and how did you enjoy being on you know this show and um and he's like Morgan I'm on deadline like I gotta let you go and I just kept you you know me talking and talking um wanting to know like what's up Morgan, it's a Starbucks drive thru. We can't be here for two hours. Yes. <laughs> but you can, f- those are where you sure. find the best stories water coolers, <laughs> Starbucks drive thrus <laughs> The Brick. <laughs> this is not a paid partnership with The Brick, by the way. No. Um, but yeah, I, I do miss it to a degree. Um, but I think that I'm also like somewhat. I don't want them to forget about me and I think that's every woman's like major fear when when they leave to go on maternity leave is like I hope that they don't replace me and I hope that they don't forget about me obviously they have to replace my role um, for operational needs but uh, when you put so much of your life into it you know I was chatting with my my girlfriend Kat who also works at Global the other day and She's like, you used to put, you know, like 150% into your work. And she's like, and I bet when you come back, you'll just be a normal person and you'll put like probably 100, 110% into your work because you'll still have this like little human that will need attention. And the way she put it, I was like, yeah, okay,
0: I I can get behind that, you know. How were you when you found out you were pregnant? Um, Because I know that that's like a big part for women in this industry of like, how early am I going to tell my bosses? Like, how do I want this to go? I was really
1: nervous um, at the beginning because um, obviously, for obvious reasons, accidents on the side of a highway, uh, toxic fires, um, you know, me carrying gear around because I also... I'm a trained videographer and, and carry cameras and, and tripods and um, and I, I, I don't carry light gear, you know, um, and I had suffered um, a miscarriage previous to this um, in that, uh, you know, I was quite protective of the pregnancy. I was, I really, really wanted to make sure that I did everything I could to ensure that Um, it went well. So I actually phoned my, my boss at eight weeks and told him at eight weeks. And I said, you know, here are my concerns. Like, I don't want everyone to know, but if you could kind of have a hand and maybe have some of the stories are assigned, um, maybe pairing me with someone to work with. And he was absolutely incredible. Um, he never let me down once. I was always, um, you know, taken care of in that sense. And if I didn't feel comfortable doing something, I felt empowered enough to be able to say something um, that, you know, like this is not good for me today. Um, and I think that I was lucky in that sense. And I know that not everyone has managers like that. And I may have had a more positive experience in, in comparison to others. Um, but I also think I was I, I I tried very hard to be direct in what I needed and and what I wanted and knew that if I couldn't get that, that um, you know, I would even have a
0: union to help support me and ensuring. Yeah, I know that you've had a great management that. experience, which is lovely. <laughs> um, what's your experience what's your experience been with yeah. like even you know, working through the pregnancy. One of the last conversations I had with you before you gave birth was you were recording in your closet and then you literally went to the hospital. Oh
1: my gosh. So this is how insane I am. I literally put my end date for work one day before my due date. Crazy. I remember like my manager being like, it's great that you want to work until that day, but like, are you aware that you know these things kind of have their own schedule and i was like yeah yeah don't worry it'll be fine
0: <laughs> context too we should say you were working on a global crime beat and something you were very very excited about the yeah. work that you were working on but this just goes to show how you are giving 150% right down to the last minute
1: yeah like the day that i gave birth i remember waking up and it, this was going to be the last day you know it was 3 it was 3 days before my due date And I was like, okay, I'm going to go into Barbara Green, and I'm going to voice my Crime Beat episode, and um, I'm going to get it done. And then, you know, I stood up, and the baby (laughs) had other plans for the day. I called the triage line at Markham Stove Hill Hospital, and I was like, but, like, it's not that serious, right? And they're like you need to come in. So I'm like, but like, could I come in this afternoon? And they're like, no, you need to come in now. And I'm like, oh gosh. Okay. So I go in, you know, they're like checking me out. And I said to them, like, so am I going to go home and wait this out? Cause like in my own defense, think about it. I've gone through these prenatal classes and whatnot where they're like, you'll most likely be sent home to labor at home, yada, yada, yada. So like in my head, I have all these stories of like women just being sent home to labor at home. So I'm thinking that I'm going home. And they're like, no, Morgan, like you are staying and you're going to have a baby today. And
2: so I'm I like, can't oh,
1: voice crime So crime. <laughs> yeah. So it's like one thing leads to another. And I'm like, well, um, when? And they're like, in 10 minutes. Like we had to do an emergency C-section. The baby, I had been leaking meconium and it was important to get in there because it was impacting the heart rate. And I think that it was like a a whole, there was a bunch of shock, right? Like the C-section wasn't on my plan. I'm petrified of like surgery and then like on the other ha- like my other part of my brain was I was like oh I wonder like who's gonna call my boss you know to tell them I'm not working today it's like I didn't even have a chance to process it and I remember like later that day I text the pr- text the producer that I was working on on the episodes with and I said uh, Hey, Melinda, like not to freak out, but like uh, change of plans today. Like I had a baby, but just so you know, like I can take a look at A, B, C, and D. Well, and she's like, what? What? Like, no, you're not taking a look at anything. You know, that's kind of like her reaction was like, what do you mean? There was a lot of emotion going through me at that time. And so the OB came in and he just shook his head because the whole time all he heard about was how I have to finish Crime Beat. I have this show that I'm working on. And, you know, once I do that, like then, you know, I'll do like more nesting or or whatever. Right. I I had a very easy pregnancy um, comparatively. (laughs) And so he walked in and the first thing he said to me was not like, how, how do you feel? He was like, so did you finish crime beat? And he did it just like that too with this, like, so did you finish crime beat? And I'm like, well, close, but it's not lost yet. And he just laughed and he was like, I told you. You know that these these babies have their own schedules morgan and he's like i hope you learned a valuable <laughs> lesson here and i did now before anyone thinks that you know i was pushed to work longer than i should have being pregnant that was absolutely not the case i was lucky enough to be able to work from home in my pajamas eat when i needed to drink when i needed to take a break when i needed to Um, and actually my employer working with me to, to help me, you know, be able to cross those bridges and, and, and do that meant that I was actually able to work longer, which in turn gives me more time on the back end of my maternity leave to spend with Finley. I don't want everyone to think that like I was held
0: against my will and made to work because that's definitely not, not the case. I think we've established in this conversation that you give 150% whether anyone's asked you to or not.
1: (laughs) Yeah. And it's probably, it's probably to, to a fault. I mean, I, I think too, that even over the last couple of years, I've really worked on boundaries, right? And I mean, you've helped me with your experience. Um, not that I'm going to go into detail about your experience, but We sat down and a lot of our discussions have been about boundaries. Um, At one point, we shared the same therapist who (laughs) told us the same things, right? (laughs) Like this, it's so important. And I think that um, it's even more so important um, when uh, you're expecting to make transitions cool. in your life, right? And ensuring that you know what you want and what's what is acceptable and what isn't acceptable because if you if you don't say something, you know, the same thing's going to continue to happen. So um, I was happy that I actually had established those boundaries that I needed to establish prior to this.
0: Yep, very good point. Mm -hmm. So a couple things, Mm -hmm. um, you know, I wanna look at future here. So first of all, people can watch uh, your Crime Beat coverage on, it's on Global and Mm -hmm. you can also watch it on Stack TV. Do I have that right?
1: And Amazon Prime, um, the Global TV app, The episode is going to air in February. We're still kind of working out um, an air date, Um, but it's a two-part series on the Russell Williams case, revisiting it. um, We've landed some exclusive interviews. And to be honest... Um, it has been such an important project, um, having been so close to that story so many years ago, having grown with that story, living not far from where everything happened. Um, it was important to me to really take carriage of that story. And I think that's, I know actually that's why it worked so long, you know, to ensure that, that it was given the justice that it needed and that it was, um, that it's told in a way that is, um, is respectful. Uh, yeah.
0: So that airs in, in February and then, uh, we'll share, we'll share links and stuff when it comes out. I also wanted to quickly touch on the fact that you became a professor over the last year. Oh yeah. How has it been working with students, um, through Seneca?
1: Oh, that's probably the most rewarding thing I've ever done like oh gosh i love them i love the students you know i had some like just remarkable kids who wanted to learn um that experience like i learned so much about myself um and i learned so much about even just like you know that younger generation um and it was so great to be able to share my experiences in the industry and to um, see these students grow from day one, where you know they didn't know any TV terms, they you know some of them hadn't really even watched a lot of news, um, to where they where they landed at the end. I'm looking at some of these these students thinking like, you could easily be an editorial assistant right now. You know, you could easily walk into a newsroom. Your shots are good enough that a TV station would buy them, you know, um, if you were a freelancer. That, watching that growth was absolutely incredible. And the other great, so I taught um, in the media program, but I also taught um, a workshop for new Canadians through Seneca um, as well. They had some media background, um, but it was, you know, a course that would help them transition into Canadian media. That was even absolutely incredible. I mean, we're talking about people who are generally adults. um, And, uh, you know, on our workshop, like Saturdays, it would just be amazing to sit there and we'd I'd always order uh, I ordered pizza and we'd eat the pizza. And I'd be like, so tell me, you know, about your home. Tell me, you know, about some of the stories that you covered. And from, you know, that perspective, I think I got as much out of that as as they did as as the students taking the course, and I think that that, that is just so so important. To be honest with you, um, I did not think I would like teaching as much as I as I do, but I like mentoring yeah. too, right? Um, that's that's kind of my jam, um, and obviously I like hosting um, strangers who move. <laughs> two stations and hold barbecues and house parties. I think it's probably just
0: who I am. So the last part of this podcast is uh, nominating some women to come on and share their stories who you know I will be inspired by and others who listen.
1: This was really, really easy. I was actually talking to my husband about it this morning before coming on this podcast. Shalima Maharaj from Global Toronto. Shalima is fantastic. She's a good Person, I don't want to share too much of her story, but you know she's really been that type of person who started really small and and worked her way up and really had gone through her own challenges and her own uh, growth. I think she would be absolutely incredible. The other person that I've really been thinking about, and I think for obvious reasons, so I'm not going to really launch into it. Obviously, Lisa LaFlamme would be huge. I'm sure she's the hottest ticket in town right now, Um, but also Reshmi Nair. You know, I've watched her go from, you know, station to station, and I've really watched her career, and man, she just comes off as so genuine and so kind that you can't help but think that that person is the same person, you know, off camera um, because it doesn't it doesn't come off as something that's, you know, put on. I would love to know more about her story through her eyes, not, you know, the story yeah. that's written in a bio.
0: Who does Rushmi work for?
1: Uh, she works for CP24 uh, right now. She was former CBC, CTV. She's done some serious national work.
0: Well, our time has come to an end, so until our next dinner debrief, and thank you so much for even putting up with the idea to turn the mics on at dinner that one day, because that eventually led to this podcast. Thank you for coming on the Women in Media podcast.
1: Oh my gosh, absolutely. I'm honored that you asked me, but I have to say I'm just so proud of how that started as this little tiny idea to us like picking out logos and looking at headshots. To this 50 episodes is is absolutely incredible and you just keep going on you've had some really inspirational women on this
0: podcast so thank you if you've never seen one of morgan's stories please head to WomenInMedia.ca. click on her podcast episode you can watch some of the videos i've embedded on the page there and please watch for her crime beat work in the near future up next on the women in media podcast Please join me for a conversation with Robin Stewart, the Executive Director of the Canadian Chapter of Women in Music, who has some very exciting announcements on the way. Until then, thanks so much for listening.
2: I'm Debbie Travis. And I'm Tommy Smythe. And this is, trust me, I'm a decorator. We're now podcasters. And why did we call it that? Well, you know us as decorators, but we've got lots more to share. We want to talk about travel and relationships. We're going to have amazing guests on. Guests who inspire us for sure. We'll probably talk about design too. And of course, Tommy, don't forget about food. Oh my gosh, how did I forget about food? So please follow or subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or as they say, wherever you get your podcast, and we'll Pop right up when we have a new episode. Where's this luck?
0: This podcast is distributed by the Women in Media Podcast Network. Find out more at womeninmedia.network.